Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Welcome to the show today. Today's guest is Tony Guarnaccia. Tony has vast experience in working with companies to help them utilize their marketing dollars. We all know how complex this has gotten for companies in the last 20 years or so. From search engine optimization to social media, how do you break through all of that clutter? How do you spend your money? Well, Tony's a guy that can help you sort through that and figure out what's the best value going forward for your business. Exactly, Bela. This is another one of these interviews that you've done uh, that are great because these are, these are people who have devoted their life to helping entrepreneurs succeed. So let's get right to it. Let's give it a listen. Tony Guarnaccia. Hello, folks. Uh, today, I'm here with Tony Guarnaccia. Tony is a great entrepreneur uh, who has a really interesting business that he has built over the years. He's worked with large companies and small companies, and he really helps entrepreneurs uh, grow their businesses. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thanks so much. Really happy to be here today. Yeah, wonderful. So let me ask you a question. If you're at a social event and someone comes up to you, they introduce themselves to you, and then they ask you, nice to meet you, Tony. What do you do? How do you answer that question? Yeah, I love that question. That's a, a great question. So I've been fortunate to work with some amazing mentors and, and teachers. Uh, one of them was Alan Weiss, who's a renowned business consultant expert. And really what he taught me is that question is really not about you. It's about them. And so really what you want to be to uh, do to be the most interesting person at the party is ask them questions and, and provide value to them. And so what I usually do is I give a very short answer, but then as quickly as possible, turn it back to them and say, mm -hmm. by the way, what do you do? And then that allows me to tailor my response to them. And I can go in multiple directions with that because I've done so many things from the consulting side, from the business side, but even on the personal side. So I used to be a professional violinist, so I could throw that in there. So I'm really looking for areas of, of um, like-mindedness, alignment, and then speaking to that. That way you're more interesting, but really it's about them. Because how do you ask value to them? And a lot of times you do that by asking them the questions. So as much as possible, I want to ask them and learn about them so I can add value to them. Yeah, it's all about making that connection. Correct. Right? Finding some type of common ground that you can make a connection on, and then from there you can go. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, so what does your business do, Tony? Yeah, so um, our value proposition, <laughs> which is another thing Alan talked about me, what we do essentially is dramatically increase the revenue of businesses while, while reducing their cost and, and really their cost per acquisition, cost per lead. But really what that means at the end of the day is making businesses much more profitable because that's really what's key, especially in times like this. I really focus on two things, um, profitability and cash flow, and really doing it from a perspective of how marketing impacts those areas. Because marketing is not just advertising and and, and you know, running some some placements in Facebook, you know, it's really a lot more. It comes down to your product positioning, your pricing, your branding, your messaging. There's so much around that. But a big part that people talked about, they used to talk about years ago in the textbooks. Today, it's like forgotten. But looking at how you become profitable uh, with your pricing and all those areas, they're just kind of neglected. So I make sure that kind of looking at marketing from a very holistic position as opposed to just kind of one little small slice of it that most people think about today. Yeah. So when you look at most sort of small to medium sized companies, you know, let's say less than 20 million in revenues a year, what are some of their biggest challenges? 
Yeah, so there's quite a few. Uh, you know, today they – well, let me go back to kind of the story of how marketing's changed. So this is what I call the marketing revolution. So years ago, it's pretty straightforward. You take an ad. You put it in a newspaper. Nobody reads those anymore. And boom, you got some business. Then things got a little bit more complicated. You get to broadcast media. So you have you know radio and, and then eventually television, all the, all the way to becoming more cable stations. You place an ad there, a little bit more expensive, uh, a little bit more targeted, but uh, you're able to get some business out of it. Then you get to the next revolution, which is really more as you get the internet into play. You know, it's getting more and more complicated. You have uh, advertisements that can go in so many places. Uh, you have directories, and you have to have eventually Google to even manage all this. It's just way too much. Then what happens? You have social media. So there's millions and millions of people creating their own content. So it's not just brands creating content. Now it's people creating content. And then after that, the, the you know the next wave is really where people can create through mobile phones. So the access is even more available, which means even more stuff. And now you're not just competing against your competitors. You're competing with brands because you're competing for attention. So nowadays, nowadays the small and medium businesses, even the big businesses, they're competing with Netflix. They're competing with YouTube. They're competing with Amazon. These major brands, how do you possibly you know, have an impact through all that? But really, you can distill that into three problems. So to answer your question, what are the problems? It's really three. Number one, how do you actually break through all the, the fragmentation? There's so many places you, you need to be. Like, which one do you choose? Because, again, before, newspaper, easy decision. Now you have thousands upon thousands of channels. So problem number one is how do you pick which channel to work because you only have so many time, money, and resources to, to put towards something. Yet you want to make sure you're picking the right one. If you have the money on the wrong horse, you're already out of the race, right? So that's problem number one. Problem number two is once you pick the channel, going back to what I said about competing with brands, how do you break through the clutter? which comes down to your messaging and how you stand out so people want to see you as the obvious choice for to fill their needs. And then problem number three, okay, I got through the challenges with fragmentation. I got a channel that works. Okay, now I uh, broke through the clutter. My message stands out. Now you have the technology challenges. So now you have to know code and, and know a programmer and know how to track things, the analytics. It's so much for the average business, even big businesses. I was at a summit years ago with CMOs from top companies at, at Harvard University. Believe it or not, they were just as clueless, frankly, as anyone. And so if they are struggling at the enterprise level, how much harder is it for the small and medium business? So really to answer your question, kind of a long-winded answer, but it's really just three things. Uh, you know, the clutter, the fragmentation, and the technology. Those are the, really the three biggest hurdles today facing businesses. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So when I think about all these various different channels, all these outlets, you know, as you as you described it, forty years ago, I just I, I spent my thousand dollars a month advertising in the local newspaper. That was it. That's all I yeah. had to worry about, and that was probably covered my geographic reach anyway for my business. Correct. But now all of a sudden, I, I have access to the. The good news is I have access to the whole world. <laughs> the bad yeah. news is everybody has access to the whole world. Correct. So when I think about these various different channels that I can spend my advertising and promotion dollars on. What factors should I look for as a small business person to kind of select the right one for me? Absolutely. So as, as challenging as kind of I live with bad news, as bad as that is, the reality is it's actually never been a better time to be a business owner, an entrepreneur, 
you know, or even a marketer because you have access to so many things. So with, with these changes, the good news is now you can launch campaigns very quickly. You can see results very quickly. Uh, you can uh, measure your return investment down to the penny. I mean, there's so many advantages. So what I suggest is try different things and find the ones that get the most traction. So try different channels. So you want to be able to test. And so before we even have the conversation about which ones do I choose and how do I evaluate that, the first thing you have to do is have a system in place to actually measure your results. This goes almost back to the technology, but do you have the right tracking mechanisms on your website, on landing pages, uh, even if it's cute, you know, codes, you know, uh, years ago on radio, what they use, they used to use a code, use code XYZ to tell people you heard. So you want to use the same kind of mechanisms, have that in place. And then what you want to do is go kind of broad channel by broad channel. So what does that mean? Well, social media versus radio versus, and probably take the biggest player in that area or the most relevant. So for instance, if you're in consumer, you probably go more towards Facebook or Instagram. If you're more B2B, you probably go more towards LinkedIn. But I would charge, I would try big kind of areas, test a little dollars. Once you find a winner, ride the winner and try to do as much within that channel. At that point, you don't want to spread your money too thin. So you pick the channel and go in and on that one. Yeah, yeah. So if I, if I have a small business that's been doing okay for a number of years, you know, maybe it's not growing as fast as I, I want it to grow. What are, what are some of the sort of red flags or warning signs that tell me that, you know, I, I may feel like I'm doing okay, but actually I'm losing ground to my competitors? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a couple of things to look at. You know, from a business perspective, I would first be looking at your profitability and your cash flow. Those are really the lifeblood of your business. Those are key. And so all the other stuff, I mean, a lot of times uh, people, like I said, marketers, my mission is to democratize marketing. And what does that mean? Well, really to share what the best companies in the world are doing to grow. Most people that I found in the marketing space, they'll come in here and they'll tell you different tactics to do. And that will not help most of us at the end of the day. So I'm going to, I talk a lot about fundamentals, but the fundamental principle is A, how much money do you have, which is your profitability. And you can look at it on the product and service basis, but also down to the bottom line of your company. And also, when are, when's the money coming in? Your cash flow. So when and how much? Really simple questions. And so if it's coming in later and later, that's a bad sign. So you want to look at your business and say, okay, am I getting paid up front? You know, as a consultant, I get the money up front before I do any work. You know, a lot of businesses that haven't been around, they're billing 30, 60 days in arrears and then chasing their clients down. And, you know, you might have tremendous profits or say you're in the um, business to business space and you're selling industrial equipment. You might have a huge profit. But the problem is you may not get paid for a year. So do you really want to put yourself in that position? So you want to first look at those areas and make sure that that you're strong in those because if you are more profitable, you're going to be able to weather any storm, which we're learning a lot today. So you know, business may look great on paper, but they don't have the profitability. They're going to be in really disadvantage. Now, if you do have the profitability, you should be growing your market share during this season. Now's the time to get aggressive not to hold back because chances are if you are in a better profitable position than your competitors, they're probably dropping all their, their marketing. Now's the time where you can come in grow your market share, which is really going to be a huge benefit to you as, as we come out of these, these challenging times. Yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent thoughts and advice. So w- one of the other things that I think has happened uh, you know, over the last 30 or 40 years is that things are changing at a much faster rate. Yes. So, so, so as a business, 
My, my uh, response times need to be much quicker to all sorts of things. And, you know, the, the, the example on everyone's mind these days is the whole COVID thing, right? I mean, in, in the span of two weeks, we went from everything being great to we're shut down. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. And so how do, what type, of, what type of thoughts and advice, you know, do you give to businesses in, in sort of dealing with this fast-changing environment and the unexpected things that can happen? How, how, do you, how do you sort of prepare for that? And what are the warning signs that you're not ready? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I think in terms of frameworks, and so I create a framework called the results loop, which really looks at the six factors that I found drive business growth in any environment, any situation, any size company. It's really borrowed from what I used to use working with you know great companies like Ford and AP and, and, and even Google. Um, what I found with them is they would do a lot of planning, right? And so they leave things to chance. You know, small businesses put more time into playing their, you know, their wedding, their birthday, their vacation than they do their business. The reality is the best companies, they're in a room, dozens of people planning for days, weeks on end and with a spreadsheet 30 tabs long, you know, with every scenario. If this happens, we're going to do this. If this happens, we're going to do that. Uh, again, businesses don't do that. <clears throat> but what can they do? Because they're not going to do it is the reality. I mean, when I started my agency, I tried to push clients towards that. And they just weren't going to do it, right? So they don't have the time, they don't have the money, they don't have the resources. Maybe they're scared to do it. They're scared to fail. There's a lot of reasons why, uh, but they need to do it. And so I say, okay, how do I solve that problem? So I create a one-page one planner that looks at just the critical things. That way, a business can put it together in 15 minutes. So to answer your question, there's really six things you should be focusing on. Number one, the markets you're serving. Number two, the products and services you're providing those markets. Number three, the value, which is what most businesses don't even think about, the value to those products uh, and services relative to the market, followed by how you increase new buyers, how you increase the size of those buyers, meaning lifetime value, and finally, how do you increase the loyalty of those buyers, which means getting them to buy again and again and providing you with referrals. Yeah, yeah, excellent. You know, as you were saying that, it got me thinking about, um, you know, airline pilots. You know, they they spend a lot of time uh, preparing for and planning for uh, the unexpected or the unplanned. Yes. Right. And that's and that's what they're really there for. If things are going sort of the way they're supposed to, running your business is pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. Right. But they have they have scenario airline pilots have scenario and other industries, not just airline pilots, but you know, they have, they have scenarios laid out for every, if this happens, this is, if, if an engine stops, here's the things you got to do. If you know, the weather turns really crappy, here's the things you got to do. And it's amazing how businesses don't do that. Yeah. Right. They yeah. really don't. And, and you can, on a, on a simple sheet of paper, you can probably lay out five or six scenarios about things that could really impact your business in a devastating way. And then you can say, okay, if my competitor lowers their price by 60%, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's right? true. Yeah. <clears throat> or if my supply chain stops, <laughs> yeah. right? all of a sudden my, my, my key supplier goes out of business, what am I going to do? Yeah, you and, have to think about those things. Yeah, you really do. And, that's, and I think that's the thing that makes you resilient yes. in when, when, when things go bad. So yeah. what, have, what have you seen with, with COVID, right? COVID's uh, going on right now, and, and a lot of businesses have either been shut, forced to shut down or they've shut down because you know, supply chain dried up or whatever. 
So uh, have you been working with some clients in that regard? And, and what, what type of things have you seen? Yeah, it's been a really challenging time. Well, I'll give you my own personal story. So uh, my agency um, had a lot of focus on travel. We had uh, events. We had uh, just a lot of industries that have really tanked during this time. And so what did I do? You know, I'm in this position myself. And so I literally went through my own framework. And I said, okay, what markets are hot right now? And markets can be defined in many different ways. It could be geographic. It could be verticals. It could be based on people's needs. It's a, it's really de- depends on how you want to define it. But what I knew going into this is, boy, virtual seems to be pretty hot right now, right? I, I don't think anyone would, would be um, – you know, not buying Zoom stock when this started, right? If, if they were smart, if you had Zoom, you'd probably be in good shape. So I said, okay, travel, you know, events, things like that are declining. Virtual sounds pretty good. What if I pivot part of my agency to focus on that industry? So that's what I did. I started doing a lot more podcasts from a marketing perspective, but also from a from an agency perspective, I pivoted my agency to focus more on podcasting and virtual summit type events. So for instance, I created a Canva type tool for designing um, assets like banner ads. I create a, actually a planner because I'm very much into planner. So I create a planning system that's software. So it's a SaaS company for podcasts. And then I also create a uh, website system for people building a podcast website. So I said, okay, that's what I need. And then the market, in this case, the market and, and um, the products and services went with the market, right? So the first step is, okay, what market do I need? Okay, let's go with virtual. Haven't done anything virtual. I had any, actually, I only started podcasting this year, but I said, okay, that's, that's not a problem because I can add these other value, which actually it was good because there's so many things that are kind of backwards in podcasting. I said, okay, I can add value. I'm going to go there. So that's what I did. So I started with the markets and I said, okay, what do I need products and services? So I said, okay, Let's come up with a planner. I just took what I had for my planning system for other industries, adapted to uh, podcasting. And then I said, okay, well, how do I add value? So how do I make this such a no-brainer? So I put a lot of time into thinking, okay, how do I make this like indispensable for people? And then from there, it's looking at, okay, how do I get new buyers? So you know, uh, making joint ventures are a great thing to do right now because it's low cost. So I started talk, uh, calling people that teach podcasting which I needed anyway, because I wanted to launch my own, but I also said, okay, they would be a great joint venture partner, because once they have a student, they're gonna want to launch, I can give them a lot of things to help them with their podcast. And then I say, okay, how do I create um, more lifetime value? So this is where I stack the product. So say maybe someone comes in, they want the website. Okay, now do you need banner ads? Okay, now do you need planner to actually plan your show? So that's stacking the lifetime value. And then finally, loyalty. What I've always learned is always have a recurring revenue model in your business. Yeah, I learned that from ADP, one of the greatest companies out there. Everything is recurring. So what I made all this software uh, be is a subscription. So that way money comes in every time that helps the profitability and the cash flow and gives predictable revenue, which is another thing that most small businesses don't have and they don't think about it. They're always hunting the next client. So they're always focused on the buyers. Most companies don't focus there, the, the successful ones. They're more on loyalty and lifetime value. So I built everything. So I basically strung together this whole business in a couple of months, and now it's actually getting some great traction. Yeah, <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful. So uh, one of the things that I, I've, I've seen businesses do during crises like this is some of them tend to focus on, okay, I have an existing customer base. What can I do to keep servicing them? Right. So I, I want to yes. keep those relations. I want to keep servicing them. 
even though those customers may, may really be struggling, as you said, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, if your biggest client was the cruise ship industry, <laughs> I mean, they're not doing much these days. No, right? no. So uh, now the other, the other view of this is, is to say, okay, how can I go after, how can I take the skill sets that I have? How can I take the knowledge and experience I have and apply it to maybe a new industry that is sort of more thriving and growing? Correct. Uh, and how do, how, do, how do you help people make that decision? How do you help them sort through that? Yeah, so that that's the decision I made. So I yeah, exactly I went, that's what made me think exa- about that. Yeah, exactly. So there's really you're right. There's two ways to do it. So if you're um, if you want to start a new business, a startup, or you want to go in a different direction, you go around the loop. So you start with uh, you know the the market and the buyers you want to choose. If you're established and you're having some success, then you start actually backwards with the loop. So established companies that have consistent revenue and they're growing, you start with loyalty. Because the lowest hanging fruit is always at the end. So the, the the loop is recursive. You always are continually going through it, at least on a quarterly basis. And the direction you go in is dependent on the scenario in your business. So how do you choose? Well, if you're if you're not facing those pain points we talked about earlier in regards to profitability and cash flow, you probably want to start with loyalty. If you if you're really struggling in those areas for whatever reason, maybe the business is dried up. Maybe you just can't be a profitable in, in that area because there's so much competition. Then you probably want to go in a new direction or take what you have and adapt it. So you don't have to do all the steps in, in the um, in the results loop. You can focus on one. So, for instance, if you're in a market and there's competition and you're struggling, you can't maintain your price point, uh, you go with value. Value a lot of times can be the secret thing. So, for instance, we had a client that does um, healthcare. And they were in a very competitive market. They're very dependent on referrals from hospitals. That dried up. And so what we consoled them to do is, okay, you can't change your industry because you already have staff and you're trained in that area. Uh, but what you can do is modify your markets and services, and you do that based on your value. So what he did was he segmented his market and based it on where he has success and knowledge but also profitability. And what he discovered he makes like five, I can't remember the number, it was like five or six or maybe even 10 times a, amount of money on servicing people, I think it was 80 to 100 years old. So what he did was based on his value proposition, he reconfigured his business just to focus on a segment and he's grown exponentially to, to the point that this year he's actually opening a whole, whole other business to service and that happened in a year. So dramatic growth just by taking one little factor within the results loop focusing on that. So you don't have to do all six. If you do all six, you can get what's called uh, uh, exponential growth uh, through a process called growth compounding. Because when you do each one on top of each other, it's actually an exponential growth path. That's what Apple does. That's how Amazon grew, et cetera. But if you're just kind of in the now and you want to fix that one little problem, focus on just one factor. And typically the magic is in the value. The value is really what makes people want to buy from you in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So you mentioned a couple of times this results loop. Uh, yes. can, can you just take a, a minute and take us through that, what you mean by that? Because I'm not sure all of our listeners will, will know what that means. Yeah, so the results loop is a one-page planner that I created, and it focuses on the six factors that I found drive, drive growth no matter the size company, the industry, et cetera. And I hit on these before, but I can go into more detail. The first area is the market you serve. So the first step in going through the, the results loop is saying, okay, what markets am, am I serving? And that can be decided based on the pain points of your audience, the demographics, uh, the geography, uh, anything like that. So, for instance, um, 
I consulted, of all things, my daughter. My daughter happens to be a Girl Scout. And so this system is so easy. I took the whole Girl Scout troop through, which was kind of cool because they actually had an entrepreneurship program for Girl Scouts. So I took them through it. And what I did was for the markets, I said, well, who's your markets? And of course, they said, mom and dad. That's a great start. Then they went to the neighborhood. That's another market. Then they say, okay, we can stand outside the grocery store. So these are all distinct markets. But if you don't actually write them down, you might forget them. And if you don't plan, you're not going to go and attack them. So what day are you going to go and stand outside the grocery store? You know, which neighborhoods are you going to go to in the area? So being specific is really the key because everyone has these ideas generally, but they don't actually drive to action unless you, you specify what you're going to do. So that's the first step is the markets. Then products and services. Well, when you have those markets, what products and services are you going to provide them? And so, again, it uh, sounds like an abstract uh, or, or, or easy enough question, but the problem is most people are very abstract. Like I, I've had clients that don't even know what their real product is because they want to sell to everybody or they haven't even defined it. They don't have it written down. And so with the Girl Scouts, I say, okay, what's your top selling cookies? Well, it happens to be the Samoans and the Thin Mints, which happen to be my favorites anyway. <laughs> so, I, so I said, when you go into a – you know, the, out, stay outside the grocery store, go to a neighbor, which cookies do you think you should offer first? Probably the Samoans and the Thin Mints because that's what people want and that will open the door to the next thing because people tend to go, you know, success follows success. So you get them to buy what they want and then you go next step. So that's products and services. That can be expanded anyway, any, any way you want. So if you're Dunkin' Donuts, you know, a, um, a coffee chain or Starbucks, do you go into lunch? Do you go into dinner? You know, those are different markets. Those are different products and services for those markets. Now, the next part is is a lot more complicated, so it's a little bit hard to go into detail, but this is your value. But the value answers the question, why would they buy from you as opposed to anyone else or do nothing at all? And the way I think about it is as in a bridge. So value is taking someone from where they are today to where they want to be. And that's really what your value is. Because at the end of the day, and this is why every company I have has the name results in it, what people really want is the end result. They don't care about the process. They don't care about you know the, the, the shiny objects that you have. They care about the end result. So the more you focus on that, the better. And so with the Girl Scouts, what's the result they want? Well, there's, there's a certain element of helping the Girl Scout out. There's a, a certain part of affinity to the person because they know it. Certainly the cookies taste good. So really looking at the value proposition of that, this gets much more complicated when it gets into a real business scenario. But that's really the key thing. And then from there, going around the loop, you, you, you next look at number factor number four, which is your buyers. How do you get new buyers? How do you get into new markets? So if once you write down your initial markets, it's actually much easier to find the new markets, right? So start there. Say, okay, which new markets can we go into? Can we segment our audience? Can we look at what we've had success with in the past? A lot of times success is just a matter of finding what you worked in the past and doing more of that. It's a pretty simple concept, which is mostly why I teach, but people don't do it. So that's why I talk about it. The next step is your lifetime value. So how do you get them to buy more? So in the case of the Girl Scouts, okay, they, they want to buy the Thimmins. They want to buy the Samoans. Why don't you offer a third cookie? And maybe take one of the less popular cookies so you can sell those. Or bundle them together. Say, if you buy this, we'll, do, we'll give you this. You know, this is where in the business world, they talk about upsells and cross-sells. Nobody's done this better than McDonald's, right? You go in there. Do you want to supersize this? Oh, you want this? How about if you get the, the dessert pie or whatever they're selling nowadays? So you, they always have something else, but also lifetime value over time. 
So you want to kind of get them to buy everything at once. You want to get them to buy over time, which goes into factor number six, the final factor, which is loyalty. So how, so for instance, with the Girl Scouts, I say, okay, first thing you should do is make a list of everyone that bought last year. Go back to those people, right? Simple thing people don't do. And then once they do that, ask for a referral. Who else can, you know, could buy in the neighborhood? Do you know anyone else that would want these in your family, et cetera? You know, a lot, even with my daughter, I would have her go and maybe it's an older family. You got kids in college. The dad would buy some or the mom and they would say, hey, is there anyone else in the family? Sure enough, the, the college kid walks by. They have a little bit of money, right? Or even the teenager say, yeah, I'll get a couple boxes. Do your friends, you know, so it's really simple things like that. But it's putting it actually into action because everyone has great ideas. But what I found is if you don't do three things, they don't have success. So the first thing is to know what to do. Have a strategy. Have a plan. Then you have to know how to do it. How do you actually ex execute the things that you know you need to do? So once you identify it, you have to understand it. And then finally, you have to actually do it. And if those three things don't align, you're not going to get success. Yeah, excellent. Now, thank, <clears throat> thank you for taking the time to explain that. It was, that was very helpful. Sure. So uh, we've been talking now for oh, over 25 minutes, so I want to start wrapping this up. So sure. is there anything that I have not asked you that I should have, Tony? Well, I mean, the one lesson I usually like to tell, and this is very similar, is um, when I, I mentioned before, I used to be a professional violinist. One yeah. of the things I learned in the conservatory, uh, I was learning a very difficult piece called the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto, lots of notes. And when I'm, you know, I was learning this probably when I was like 19 years old. And me, I just wanted to kind of skirt through the hard stuff, get right to the melody and like have fun and then just kind of get through the next hard stuff, brush through it and then say I'm done. And this is something I find that people do in life and in business. They, and, and what they don't do is what I learned from my teacher. So the lesson I learned there is to have success, you have to slow down to speed up. And so what I learned is I have to take each note, break it down, play it slowly, speed it up, and then eventually I'll be able to play it at a high level. Same thing with business. People want to go right to, you know, okay, let's just run an ad without first thinking through all the ramifications and having a strategy and a plan. And why, actually, why do I want to do this? How does this align with my goals? And, the, and those goals could be business goals, life goals. So I want to be able to afford a vacation. I want to be able to retire. Whatever those are. You have to align everything. So the, the one piece of advice I always try to share in every podcast I do is the importance of slowing down to speed up. Well, that's that's great, great, great advice and a wonderful way to end this. Uh, I, I think uh, that was very good. Uh, I'm going to that's that's something that I call a keeper. I'm going to remember that. Right. Oh, you got to sure. slow down. You got to slow down in order to speed up your business. So that's wonderful, Tony. Hey, Tony, you've been a great guest. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on this podcast. And uh, I wish you the best of luck in going forward. And of course, I'll have all of your contact information in the show notes. And uh, so if great. people want to get a hold of you, uh, they'll be able to do that. So thanks yeah, again. And if, anyone, if anyone wants the results loop, it's actually available free for download. I don't charge it. I don't ask for contact information or anything. I just want people to have it. If anybody wants that, they can get that at smallstepsmanifesto.com. That's where I have a lot of my stories that I shared today, examples, and also the downloadable templates for the results loop. Okay, excellent. I will make sure that's in the show notes. Thanks again, Tony. Awesome. Take care. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Right, thank you. Bela, that was an interesting interview. You covered a lot of ground. Uh, what struck you as most important with your conversation? So I think one of the things that Tony mentioned that I think is really important 
is, you know, the whole sort of media, social media, advertising has gotten so much more complex. You know, 35 years ago, you bought an ad in a newspaper and that was it. Uh, maybe you took a spot on the radio or the TV. Uh, and, and those were the outlets you had. And now you have social media, you have Instagram, you have Facebook, uh, you still have TV, you still have newspaper. There's just so many different channels. And I think the one thing that he said that stood out to me is this notion of having a system in place to measure the performance, right? Have a system in place to measure results and do these various different tests. So do a test on Facebook, do a test on Instagram, do a test on uh, TV, local TV, if you want, right? And, but have the backbone in there so that you can measure the results. What is it producing for you and what value is it producing? And then from that, you can uh, then decide how to spend your dollars. And I thought that was sort of a, a, a key assessment. I don't know if you remember back to uh, one of our other guests, uh, the, the Marino wool guy. Um, he was uh, Dan Dembski. And, if, mm -hmm. and remember, he said they did everything on Facebook, if I remember correctly, because they mm -hmm. figured out for them that worked the best for their constituents. And they really focused their dollars, and that's how they built their business, by running Facebook ads. Because for their customers, that's where their customers hung out. That's how it worked. So I think that was one of the really interesting things here that Tony mentioned, was this notion of having an infrastructure in place where you can concretely measure your results and then use that to drive how you sort of uh, spend your dollars. Yeah. I mean, one size does not fit all. I mean, this is my friend Farzad Mahmoudi likes to say this uh, when he talks about supply chain. The same goes through for marketing plans. And one size does not fit all. If there was one place that everybody had to go to, there would only be one place, right? And it would be too expensive and entrepreneurs couldn't afford it. So I like this idea of let's figure out the right um, place for you to market, the right focus area. And, and this other kind of big issue that I've learned along the way is this idea of experimentation and do controlled experiments and, and measure, like you said. Uh, so figure out what your sweet spot is and it'll change. The other thing is, you know, don't assume that once you have this plan in place that it will last indefinitely. Um, customer taste will shift. Uh, the choices they make in the media that they consume or the technology they use will shift over time. So you really have to stay on to it. The second thing I like is kind of harks back to lessons my, my old friend Mark Campo taught me a long time ago. And that is that you have to really pay attention to your cash flow and the decisions that you make um, really should be tied to your cash flow um, much more so than, than your profitability or the size of your assets or even the amount of debt you have that you have to line up your decisions that you make about your business to the cash flow that you need to have. And that idea of consistent cash flow is really, is really important. What do you think? You know, we've heard the cash flow thing over and over and over again from a lot of our guests over, over a hundred episodes here. And it really is true. And, you know, I remember, uh, in my venture capital days, lots of times companies uh, that were manufacturing something or wanted to manufacture something, uh, would go overseas to get it built because it was cheaper to have it built overseas uh, as opposed to having it built, you know, t within 20 miles of, of where they're located. And the challenge was when they went overseas, uh, the vendors overseas required cash up front or at least a 50% deposit, right? And then they required the balance when they shipped. So now you have spent 100% for your 
product, your, you know, the product that you're going to sell from your manufacturer, your supplier, before you even get it. And if it's coming from overseas, it's coming on a ship. So you're going to wait another four or five weeks to get it. And then you have to get it out through your sales channel and to your customers. So that to me has always been a great example of how on a P&L statement, it looks really good because your cost of goods looks, looks cheap, right? You're saving money. But the cash flow is killing you because you're spending the money. You're paying for your raw goods six to nine months before you're getting paid from your customer. And that can sink a business uh, and it gives you great kind of liquidity and cash problems. Uh, and so this is really important. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about that very much. And it's, some, it's an area where we're always focused on the P&L statement and Excel spreadsheets. Uh, but what I always say when you do a, an Excel spreadsheet, do a cash flow statement, man. Do it just like you would your checking, your checking account at home, <laughs> right? I'm going to put this money into the account and I'm going to take this money out and do it on a monthly or weekly basis. And, and that, that's how you should be running your business, particularly in, in the early days when you're getting going. Yep. Agreed. Well, great. Should we wrap it up? Yes, let's do that. Sure. I think the big takeaway today is um, having a marketing consultant like like Tony, it, it might be a good idea for a lot of entrepreneurs that don't have that expertise there. And, you know, you might not like Tony's style. This is like finding somebody to cut your hair. You know, there's people, many people that'll do it. Uh, some are better than others, but a lot of them is just the fit and the comfort. Do I like the way this person cuts my hair? Do they make me feel comfortable? So I think, you know, Tony is a guy that um, that uh, there's people, other people like him, but he's a guy that entrepreneurs might want to get in touch with to help them develop their system, right? And develop a plan and set up some experiments so that they can make good investments and give the business the marketing support that it needs. So thanks for joining us this week. Uh, listeners, we hope that you found the last uh, few minutes interesting and thought provoking. If you have questions about what we've discussed, please feel free to drop us an email at bela.ann.mike at gmail.com. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. Uh, and even better, uh, if you'd be kind enough to leave a review, uh, that helps other people find the podcast as well. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you later, Mike. Thanks, Bela. From over here in Münster, Germany, have a great day and we'll see you next time. <laughs>